Today on the Matt Wall Show, the cancel culture mob feeds on cowardice. This is what we have to understand. The more that people uh, bow to the mob, the more it will grow in size and strength. So we'll talk about some very recent examples of egregious cowardice in the face of the mob and where that all leads. Also, five headlines, including an alleged rape case at a university that proves what a sham uh, consent rules are on the modern college campus. And today in our daily cancellation, we're going to discuss, of course, the blatantly racist anti-white comments made by the bigot Nick Cannon. But he wasn't fired for those comments. He was fired for another reason. We'll talk about all that coming up on the show today. Uh, but first, our friends at Policy Genius have a message for you. You know, it's never a bad idea to save money. There's never a bad time to save money. Uh, now is always a good time to start saving money. Shopping for life insurance can raise a lot of questions. How much coverage do you need? Which insurance company is best for you? How much should it cost? Um, and at a time when it's more important than ever to have life insurance, uh, the pandemic is making it a little more complicated to shop for it as well. And you get all these questions, you don't know where to turn. That's where Policy Genius can help. I'm telling you, it's a life insurance marketplace backed by a team of experts. Policy Genius is uh, keeping track of all the changes in the market so you don't have to. They're going to take, take all that off your plate. You got enough on your plate already. They're going to find you the right amount of coverage at the best possible price without the headache. All of your questions automatically answered. Policy Genius compares quotes from the top life insurance companies in one place. It takes just a few minutes to compare quotes from the top insurers to find your best price. This doesn't just save a lot of legwork. You could uh, save $1,500 or more a year as well. So you save the legwork, legwork and you save the $1,500. bucks. does not get better than that. You, you need to make sure as well that you're, you're just protecting the people who rely on you. It's the right thing to do. It's a smart thing to do. And now it's an easy thing to do, too. Uh, so if you need life insurance, but you're not sure where to start, head to policygenius.com. Policy Genius will help you find the best rates and handle the process completely. They'll get you and your family protected and hopefully uh, give you one less thing to worry about. Try it today, policygenius.com. Well, the conversation about cancel culture usually focuses on the mean bullies and the mob who prowl the earth, seeking souls to devour and wrong opinions to punish. And they are, yes, the primary villains, but they aren't the only ones who keep the cancel culture mill churning. Cowards, though they are so often the victims of the cancel culture, also embolden the mob and they perpetuate the problem. The story of cancel culture is a story of the gutless legions pouring fuel on the very fire that consumes them. So cowardice is the real problem. I'll give you a few recent examples. Probably not necessary to give examples, but I will anyway, uh, because they are instructive. Last week, a, um, a high-ranking executive at Boeing, his name is Neil Golightly, which I, you couldn't ask for a more fitting name than that. Um, he, he resigned from his position and issued a groveling apology after an employee complained about an article that he had written three decades ago. And in the article, he argues that women should not have a place in combat roles uh, in the military. Now, in the editorial, which has apparently been causing this employee untold trauma for 30 years, Golightly stated that introducing women into combat may interfere with male, quote, cohesion, morale, efficiency, and aggressiveness. And he doubted whether, quote, women and men can adapt emotionally to the socially radical step of fighting side by side. Now, he now calls these comments offensive and embarrassing and uh, apologizes for them and is stepping down in disgrace. Of course, 
they were not offensive or wrong. He was entirely correct. And I suspect he still knows that he was correct. He's just pretending otherwise. Also last week, the actress Halle Berry begged for forgiveness after it was revealed that she might play a, quote, trans man in an upcoming film. Um, Following the standard apology script in these situations, Berry said in a statement, "Um, as a cisgender woman, I now understand that I should not have considered this role and that the transgender community should undeniably have the opportunity to tell their own stories. I am grateful for the guidance and critical conversation over the past few days and blah, 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 blah. But it wasn't um, a mistake. She says she's going to learn from her mistake. She didn't make a mistake. A transgender man is a female. Halle Berry is a female. Perfectly qualified for the role. But that shouldn't even matter. Because being qualified for the role of an actor is just a matter of, can you do a good job pretending to be that thing? The whole job of an actor is to pretend to be something that you aren't. If you're simply portraying what you already are, it's not acting by definition. So the attacks against her were preposterous on multiple levels, completely wrong, but she caved anyway without even really much hesitation. This week has seen even more egregious cases. Listen to these, okay? You just, you have to listen. Gary Garrels, um, a prominent curator at the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art, probably a guy being a curator at an art museum in San Francisco. I'm assuming a very liberal guy and probably not someone who ever thought he'd be Uh, the target of the the liberal mob. But he has resigned and apologized after uh, some staff members accused him of racism and started a a petition denouncing his, quote, toxic white supremacist beliefs. Now you hear that and you think, wow, an art museum curator in San Francisco was a white supremacist? That's not exactly what you would expect. That's not exactly where you would expect to find Klan members. I don't know, not to be stereotypical. But what specifically were his toxic beliefs? White supremacist toxic beliefs. At a recent staff meeting, he said that um, the museum would, uh, of course, trying to be diverse and everything, but they would still collect some art from white men. And he said uh, he he didn't want to commit reverse discrimination and disqualify artwork based on the color of of an artist's skin. That's it. That's all he said. His position that he was taking there was obviously reasonable and completely right. Of, Of course you shouldn't refuse to display art from someone because they're white. That doesn't make any sense. The only bone that I would pick with his comments is that Um, discrimination against whites isn't reverse discrimination. It's just discrimination. Racism against whites, the racism of Nick Cannon, for example, which we'll talk about later on in the show, that's not reverse racism. That's just racism. Reverse discrimination and reverse racism makes it sound like discrimination and racism is a white thing. And when someone is racist against a white person, they're reversing, they're taking the, 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 you know, sort of giving the white people a dose of their own medicine. Um, by putting the word reverse in there, you're almost excusing it implicitly. So that's the only bone I would pick. Um, but, but, but other than that, his point was self-evidently true. Still, he left his position, which he had held for decades, offered a sincere and personal apology, um, 
offered this apology to these stupid, disgraceful crybabies on his staff. Only he didn't call them stupid, disgraceful crybabies, as he should have. Instead, he validated their lunacy and their paranoid delusions by acting like he was somehow in the wrong. And for this contrition and this accountability, Geralt will no doubt be rewarded with shunning and ostracization, which is exactly what would have happened if he had just stuck to his guns and maintained his dignity in the first place. Finally, another example from this week. Um, this one is the most egregious of all, and we'll, we'll, you, you got to get a load of this. We'll talk about it in just one second. But first, Legacy Box. You know, Legacy Box is a super simple mail-in service to have all of your home movies and pictures digitally preserved on a thumb drive, DVD, or the cloud. Don't let those priceless family memories disappear because that's what happens. You know, if you don't take action, they just, they, they go away. You forget about them. They collect dust. Um, they're, you know, they, and, and everything else. Get them all in one place, easily accessible. If your family members' memories are, are if your family memories are trapped on old camcorder tapes or on film reels, um, magnetic stripes are degrading, uh, are, are not made to stand the test of time. And so there is some urgency here. You know, if you, if you, if you think you just leave them in the box and they'll be fine there forever, they won't be. Let the science be the solution. Disaster happens. It's an unfortunate reality. And, uh, that's one that we can never really be prepared for. That's the other problem. If you have them stored in a basement or something, I know people store, store that stuff in a basement flood, you know, you get some flooding in the basement, destroys everything. Those are decades of memories that are out the window. Um, and that's, uh, and that's why, you know, I use legacy box because I don't want to leave the stuff somewhere where I'm going to forget about it, where it's all disorganized or where, you know, you get a, you get a little bit of flooding or something else and it's going to destroy all that legacy box is a way for you to easily affordably digitally preserve your, your, your past. And I, what I would emphasize here is how easy it is. Um, because all you're doing is you're taking all this stuff. You're sending it, sending it over to Legacy Box, and they take care of the rest for you. It really is that simple. You got to give this a try. Uh, your family memories are worth it. Get started future-proofing your memories today, so you can gather the family and and begin the trip down memory lane. Go to legacybox.com/walsh to get an incredible forty percent off your first order. Buy today to take advantage of this exclusive offer. Send in when you're ready. Go to legacybox.com/walsh. Save forty percent while supplies last. Go there now. Okay. Most egregious example from this week, anyway. Uh, a white business owner, although the week is is yet still young. A white business owner in Seattle, Rachel Marshall, published a long apology on Instagram um, because she wore dreadlocks. Marshall, uh, it, it was that's the sin. She's she was wearing dreadlocks. Apparently, I, I guess she's she's had dreadlocks for a long time, and she has decided, realized, come to the conclusion been convinced um, by the offended masses that this was racist. She said she's going to get the dreads taken out as soon as she can. She said she's very sorry for the harm and pain that her hairdo caused to black people. And she also promised to hire diversity and equity representatives to teach her how to maintain a fair, equitable workplace. Now, she doesn't explain how a hairstyle could have harmed anyone or caused anyone pain, let alone how it may have interfered with fairness and equality in the workplace. And she probably doesn't explain it because it's impossible to explain because it's nonsense. It's also worth noting here for the record, dreadlocks have been worn by many cultures for millennia. Many races, including the white race, 
have a tradition of wearing dreadlocks going back thousands of years. Yes, white people have been wearing dreadlocks for literally thousands of years. In fact, ancient Europeans were among the earliest to sport dreadlocks. Um, and no, I didn't know that off the top of my head. I actually had to look it up. This, this is what I've been reduced to because of all this madness. I had to look up the history of dreadlocks. And sure enough, here you go. Black people did not invent the style. They don't own it. Even if they did invent it, which again, they didn't, they still wouldn't own it because that's not how style works. Styles and fashions change and evolve over time. Cult cultures are constantly in exchange with one another, um, importing and exporting different styles. A white German immigrant invented blue jeans. Nobody says that you have to be white or German to wear blue jeans. No one says that. So again, the offended mob is severely wrong on every level and in every way. Yet they get what they want. And their wrongness is validated by the people who should be flipping them the bird and telling them to piss off. Many excuses could be offered, of course, for the cowards that I just uh, documented, or the any other, you know, any of the, the countless other cowards who have fallen to their knees and begged the mob's forgiveness for saying and doing things that are unobjectionable by any sane standard. Um, you could say their lives would be destroyed if they didn't. They had no choice. They had to comply. So on and so on. Now that may be true in some cases, although I think that probably the woman with the dreadlocks wasn't facing any life-destroying consequences. And you'd think that an executive at Boeing would have the power and resources to stand firm without falling into bankruptcy and ruination. But um, we, we have seen time and time again that the mob, if it wants to, will wreck your life whether you apologize or not. The apology doesn't seem to have any bearing on the penalty meted out. Sometimes, oftentimes, in fact, the, the mob will just move on and find something else to complain about, which is one of the, you know, which is one of the, the main reasons I've been saying forever, you, you come up against the outrage mob, just, just bide your time. Um, don't apologize. Just wait for them to forget about it and move on. Probably they will. Now, sometimes they don't, and they're really going to try to destroy you. But my point is, if they do that, it, it won't matter if you apologize or not. If they really smell blood in the water and decide that they're going to they're gonna just devour you, then rather than taking a couple of nibbles and moving on, then, uh, they, then they're going to do it. And th there's, there's actually nothing you can say that's going to stop it. So you may as well maintain your dignity. Uh, you, you may as well stand, stand firm and have some courage because y you literally have nothing to lose. But even if some amount of financial and professional security could potentially be maintained by prostrating oneself and pleading for absolution, we still must have the courage to defy the mob and accept the consequences of that defiance. There is always a risk in being courageous, of course. That's why we call it courageous. But the risk in continuing to grovel on command is far greater. The mob only grows in size, grows in power. Its thirst for vengeance and domination becomes even more insatiable over time. And justice, rationality, liberty, and truth recede further into the background in our culture. The only way to stop this process, the only way, if it can be stopped at all at this point, is to stand firm. There is no other solution. There is no other way. Defy the mob. Refuse to apologize to it. Refuse to bend to its will. Or... Watch as it takes and destroys everything. Those are the only two choices.
And this is why um, when we're blaming people for the outrage mob, the cancel culture mob, one of the groups we must blame are uh, many of the cowards who have been its victims. So yes, there is some victim blaming going on here. Absolutely. All right, well, let's move on to headlines. And uh, I want to get to the, to the daily cancellation as well because there's a lot to discuss there. Today's five headlines are brought to you by the Benham Brothers. Learn how to own a business without it owning you. Get a 15% discount on the Benham Brothers new course, Expert Ownership at BenhamBrothers.com slash Walsh, BenhamBrothers.com slash Walsh. Number one, uh, I want to start with this very instructive case here. This was reported on the Daily Wires as a male student at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University is suing after the school expelled him for sexual misconduct, even after evidence was presented that showed he was the victim. The student referred to as John Doe in court documents um, says in his lawsuit that he informed uh, ERAU that he was too intoxicated to engage in sexual activity and witness statements back him up, yet the school relied on antiquated gender stereotypes about male sexuality to say, to say his claim wasn't credible. So um, that's, the, that's the, the introduction to the case. This is the, here are some of the specifics. Jane and John Doe, no relation, let's hope. Um, girl and guy on this college campus. I suspect that's not their real names. They've been texting for weeks. They meet up at a, at a party, I think. John is uh, 15 drinks in, okay, completely hammered. They go back to, uh, I think it was his place, and they, you know, in, <clears throat> have they they have sexual relations. She initiates sexual contact with this extremely drunk man. Then she spends the night. The next morning she leaves. Um, later on, she decides that she was raped. Even though she never said during the sexual activity that she wanted to stop or that she didn't consent, uh, never said that. She was a willing participant the entire time. And again, she was the initiator, actually, of this sexual activity. The school expels John. So now he's suing, and I hope that he bankrupts the school and takes every dime that it has. Um, the standard of consent on college campuses is that drunk people cannot consent. And a great many men have been expelled or worse for having sex with drunk women. Now, here we have a woman having sex with a drunk man. And witnesses say, by the way, that she, she seemed fine and sober. He was the one that was, uh, uh, you know, co completely gone. So by this standard, she is the rapist. She should have been expelled. He's the victim. Yet he gets the penalty. Now, in reality, of course, nobody is the victim here. Well, he is the victim now. He's a victim in a very serious way, a victim of a false rape claim, getting expelled for no reason. So he really is a victim. But in terms of the sexual encounter itself, nobody's a victim. When two people get together and willingly engage in sexual activity with one another, there is no rape. That's not rape. If you had one too many drinks or, or, or several too many drinks, that doesn't make it rape either. Because if it did, then the vast majority of all sexual contact on college campuses is rape. And often, both participants are raping each other. It, but the whole notion is just nonsensical and sick and wrong. But, again, that's the standard established. Them's the rules. You know, yes, we could easily say 
that John also was a willing participant. He never said no. He never tried to leave. By by any sane definition of the term, that's that's not rape. Again, both. If you have two willing participants in a sexual act, it's not rape. Rape, by definition, is when one participant is not willing and is forced to. That's that's rape. Um, but that's that's all that's that's normal, sane, rational standards. That's not the standard you have on college campuses. And by their standard, Jane should be expelled, not John. Now, even introducing rational and sane standards. She should, she should be expelled now, at least, for making the false rape claim. Uh, but even by, she should be expelled two times over, actually. What we see at work here is actually, as, as the article uh, references, it's actually kind of an antiquated, chivalrous notion where the man is more responsible in a sexual act than the woman is. And it's the man's job to protect the woman from herself. That's the way these issues are handled on college campuses. The man is responsible for a sexual act that the woman later regrets, even if he was the drunk one, and even if she was the initiator, and even if she was entirely willful the, the, the whole time. Which is to say that the woman is, what, incompetent, helpless, not responsible for her own actions? That's the message being sent here. It's a very paternalistic, one might even say patriarchal message of a woman not being responsible for her own actions and the man being penalized for not protecting her from her own self. Feminists should be up in arms about this, but of course they're not. Number two, here's the headline from Pink News. UK's biggest cervical cancer charity shuts down disgustingly transphobic lie that only females get cervical cancer. Uh, yes, they're, they're transphobic lie, but by the way, in case you didn't know, dear dear audience, only a female has a cervix. So yes, only females can get cervical cancer. Typically, the way this works, and I'm not a doctor, I admit, but my understanding, anyway, is that you, you can only get cancer of a body part that you, you know, actually have. So that's one of the reasons why, funnily enough, I've never suffered a damage to my wing or a ruptured gill plate, you know, because I don't have those things. I've also never had canine distemper or feline leukemia. It's pretty amazing. The other day I went to the doctor for a physical and he came back and told me that, uh, thank God, my elephant tusks are not infected. And I I was pretty relieved by that. And then he explained that uh, the reason they're not infected is because actually I don't have any. So that, that, that was pretty great. But remember, this is the pro-science side, okay? The side that holds the most anti-science position the modern world has ever seen. This is worse even than flat eartherism. A lot of times we uh, criticize anti-science or pseudoscience positions by saying, this is like saying the earth is flat. This is worse than saying the earth is flat. This is actually a lot worse. But this is the pro-science side. Remember that. It's important. Pro-science. Number three, um, I never thought I'd actually say this, but Terry Crews for president. I, I actually think the president from Idiocracy should be the real president, I re- I, unironically. Crews, of course, has been in the news recently uh, pushing back against the false narratives from BLM, which here is an example of courage in the face of the cancel mob. Okay, this is a man, for a man in his position, a black man, 
to take that stance publicly, okay, that takes guts. Especially as a guy who, you know, he makes his living doing things on mainstream media. He's a, you know, like the host of America's Got Talent, um, or he was anyway. We'll see how that goes. He, he works for mainstream media companies. They aren't going to like what he's saying. He is probably going to suffer financially for this, but he sticks to it anyway. And, that, and that's exactly what needs to happen. That takes courage. He deserves a lot of credit for that. Here's the latest from him. Um, he says, uh, it's a, a tweet from him where he says, uh, defund Pornhub and then tags fight the new drug. So he's going after Pornhub now. Now, you know me. He won my vote right there. I was just hands down. That's my vote. But, I, but this is what I really love about it. He goes from publicly defending one of the most unpopular opinions you can possibly take these days, goes from that to taking, taking an even more unpopular position. So he's, he's saying to the cancel mob, oh, you didn't like what I said over that? Well, get, a lo- get a load of this over here. You're really, you're really not going to like this. It's almost like he's doing it on purpose as a middle finger to the outrage mob. And I love that because that's exactly what we need to do. President Terry Crews, let's make it happen. Number four, a little bit of good news to come out of this pandemic. Um, No fans are going to be allowed at Eagles or Phillies home games, apparently. That's the latest news out of that. Um, Now, I'm not in favor of the lockdowns, and I really don't see why we have to keep fans out of the stadiums. Why can't you fill them to 30% or 40% capacity or whatever it is? Um, But I am in favor of banning all Philly sports fans from all venues and all places everywhere permanently. That I can endorse, you know, for public health and all of that. Number five, World of Beer in Hartford, Connecticut has pulled uh, pulled from its uh, collection an expensive bottle of beer because customers were complaining about it. The beer was made apparently to raise awareness and fight racism. It's an anti-racism beer. And it was served to a black customer. Uh, who recently, who I, I suppose was meant to be impressed and appreciate the anti-racismness of the beer, but something was lost in translation because, well, here's here's the here's the beer. Take a look at that's what the beer that's what the beer looks like right there. It's a it's a beer dressed up in clan robes. That's what they did. Now, in fairness, it does say yellow. The name of the beer is Yellow Belly, which is an insult. So I guess you could say they're calling the clan yellow bellies. Now, it's an insult nobody has used since 1875, but still. Yet, it, 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 you know, for, for, somehow, shockingly, uh, that, that didn't exactly resonate. And this brings to mind an old adage, which, you know, is go, go woke, go broke. Um, or maybe it's get woke, go broke, or go woke, get broke. Anyway, woke and broke is the idea. They tried to be woke, but they accidentally ended up promoting the clan, which it's, it can happen to anyone. That's, uh, it, it, it happens. But that's why it's better to just make your beer as, just make your beer a beer. Beer should just be beer. Don't worry about making your beer socially conscious. In fact, personally, I prefer for my beer to be totally unconscious. Having a conscious beer freaks me out. So that's the way I would handle that. All right, we're going to get to our daily cancellation, all of this stuff with Nick Cannon in just a second. Um, But you know, in the midst of all this news, we just talked about everything that's going on. Ben Shapiro has a new book called How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. He must have seen it in the future when he was writing this thing because this uh, everything that's in the book has come to life all around us, unfortunately. The book goes on sale Tuesday, July 21st at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Ben will be doing a virtual live signing event on the day of the release. Uh, with your purchase of a signed book, you can write in a question 
which may be read and answered as he signs all the books. Uh, now, you can pre-order your signed copy. Go there now, dailywire.com slash Ben. Uh, how to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps details how this uh, alternate worldview, you know, is, is, is uh, gaining so much traction in America and also destroying our country all around us as we watch. So you got to read this book. Very pertinent, um, very current and relevant. Again, that's dailywire.com slash Ben to order your signed copy and join Ben's live signing on Tuesday, July 21st. Okay. Today for our daily cancellation, we're going to be canceling Viacom for firing Nick Cannon after he made racist anti-white comments. We're canceling Viacom for canceling Nick Cannon. But we're not canceling them for firing him. We're canceling them because they didn't fire him for for the anti-white comments. So let's let's go back and and, uh, go over this again. A clip from Nick Cannon's podcast went viral yesterday. And in the clip, he's mostly babbling incoherently, so it's kind of hard to understand what he's trying to say. But he does make his feelings about white people loud and clear. When we talk about the power of melanated people, when we talk mm-hmm. about who we really are as guys and, and understanding right. that our melanin is so power and it connects us in a way that the reason why they fear black, the reason why they fear is because they the lack that they have of it. So then when you see what, you know, Dr. Uh, Francis C. Wellesley talked about is that fear in that 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 just uh, genetic that annihilation deficiency of mm-hmm. when you have a person that has has the lack of pigment the right. lack of melanin right. that they know that they will be annihilated so therefore however they got the power they 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 have the lack of compassion mm-hmm. that mel- melanin comes with compassion melanin comes with soul that mm-hmm. we call it we call it soul we soul brothers and sisters that's the melanin that connects us right. so the people that don't have it have are are a li- and I'm, I'm gonna say this carefully <laughs> are a little less and 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 where the term actually comes from because i'm bringing it all the way back around okay. to, to minister farrakhan to where they may not have the compassion or the the when they were sent to the mountains of caucasus when they when they didn't have the power of the sun that was that the sun then started to deteriorate mm-hmm. them so then they're acting out of fear they're acting out of low self-esteem they're acting out of a a deficiency Mm -hmm. so therefore the only way that they can act is evil the only way they can they they have to rob steal rape kill and fight or flight in in order to survive exactly so then these people who didn't have what we had and when i say we i speak of the Mm -hmm. melanated people right they had to be savages they had to be barbaric. They had because they're in these Nordic mountains. They're in these rough, uh, torrential environments. Mm. So they they're acting as animals. Right. So they're the ones that are actually closer to animals. They're the ones that are actually the true savages. Okay. So to review, white people are a little less evil, savages, barbaric closer to animals plus we don't have souls compassion or self-esteem so, and we rob kill and rape he, he he put all that into into you know two minutes you have to sift through a lot of incomprehensible nonsense to get to it but that's that's what he was trying to say he does also appear to think that melanin in the skin is like some kind of magical elixir some sort of 
supernatural formula that imbues soul and compassion and other things into people. He sees melanin like, it's almost like he sees it as, um, what's the thing from Star Wars? The, the thing that Jedi have that makes them, that gives them superpowers? Mitol or mitochondria? I, no, it's not that. Uh, whatever it is, melanin is like that, what the Jedi have. And of course, that's all pseudoscientific inanity. It doesn't make any sense um, at all. But the real issue here is the stuff he said about white people and the fact that he thinks that we're evil, soulless savages. That, that I think, is the headline. It, it is actually helpful, though, I have to say. I'm actually grateful to the bigot Nick Cannon for saying this because the term racism is thrown around so much that you, you forget what it means. It's a, you can easily forget what racism means because we're calling everything racism these days. And, uh, you know, even, even someone's hairstyle or an art, art curator collecting art from white, white artists, you know, we're calling that racist. So after a while, maybe you forget it, the, the term loses its meaning. And then you see this and you realize, oh, okay, that's what racism is. That right there. Racism is a guy degrading an entire race of people and outright saying they are less than him and savage and evil. That is racism, and that is literally supremacism. That is black supremacism that we're seeing there. To a T, textbook racism. Maybe not modern textbook racism because they're changing the definition, but any, a real textbook, racism right there. Any white person who said that goes without saying. If you can even imagine a, a, a white person of any prominence whatsoever saying anything like that, about black people or any other race, they would be fired, shunned, canceled, destroyed in a heartbeat, without hesitation, without question, and not one person anywhere would defend them. Nor should they. Nor would I. You see, objecting to cancel culture doesn't mean that we have to take the position that nobody should ever suffer any consequences for anything they do or say. That would be silly, of course. That's, that's, that's not what we mean when we talk about cancel culture. At least it's not what I mean. Cancel culture is about shutting down intelligent debate, punishing people for doing and saying things that are not actually objectionable and oftentimes correct. And cancel culture is, all, is, is also disproportionate. So it could be that, that someone says or does something that is objectionable, but the response is totally out of proportion. So for example, some kids playing around with dough at uh, Jimmy John's become national pariahs. That is a consequence that is way out of proportion to the crime. These are not public figures. These are just some kids being stupid. Uh, yeah, they're going to lose their job at Jimmy John's, but to have their face plastered all over the place, to be, to be denounced in mainstream publications across the, the, the country and the globe, way out of proportion. That's cancel culture. Cancel culture also goes digging for offenses. Okay, The cancel culture mob is looking to be offended. They're looking for things. Finding things people said and did long ago to destroy them. A, uh, in an article someone wrote 33 years ago about women in combat, which also wasn't even objectionable and was completely correct. But that's how cancel culture behaves. In this case, it's completely different. We have a prominent person saying something publicly, saying it now, not saying it 30 years ago, um, and what they're saying is wrong and extremely objectionable and actually racist by any sane definition of the term. So this is not, yes, he should be fired for that. Absolutely. And again, if it was a white person, 
Nobody would be saying that they shouldn't be. If it was a white celebrity who works for a major media company, and they went out and said about another race that they're savages and evil and less than him, nobody would be saying, don't fire him. Of course they're going to fire him for that. What, what else is a company going to do? Stand, no, the company's not going to stand by you. They shouldn't have to stand by you for that. You're the one who decided to come out and say that, and, and now, now you need to accept the consequences. It's not the company's job to you know, take the slings and arrows for you being a revolting, stupid, insane bigot. But, and so he is fired, right? But the problem is that he wasn't fired for that. Here's the statement from Viacom. Viacom CBS denounces bigotry of any kind, and we categorically denounce all forms of anti-Semitism. We have spoken with Nick Cannon about an episode of his podcast, Cannon's Class, on YouTube, which promoted hateful speech and spread anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. While we support ongoing education and dialogue in the fight against bigotry, we are deeply troubled that Nick has failed to acknowledge or apologize for perpetuating anti-Semitism, and we are terminating our relationship with him. Okay. Wait a second. Anti-Semitic? What? It wasn't anti-Semitic. It, it, was, it was just it was anti-white in general. It was bigoted against all white people. It wasn't focused exclusively on Jewish people. What are they talking about? Well, it turns out that Nick Cannon uh, went on a bit of a, a bigotry spree during that episode and also at one point said that, um, quote, Semitic people are black people and, quote, you can't be anti-Semitic when we are the Semitic people, when we are the same people they want to be. That's our birthright. And he also said that black people are the true Hebrews. That's what they fired him for. Even though that that what I just what you just heard there is while nonsensical and weird and, and, and incorrect and objectionable, it is way tamer than what he said about white people in general. I mean, remember, he called white people evil savages, for God's sake. It literally does not get more racist than that. That is the height of racist language. You you couldn't you couldn't possibly be more racist than this. That's as racist as it gets. But, and this is why Viacom is canceled, they couldn't bring themselves to fire Nick Cannon for anti-white racism or even, even uh, to denounce it, to acknowledge it. It's smacking them, anti-white racism, smacking them in the face with a sledgehammer, which these days often it does in a literal sense as well, but they couldn't do it. He's out here calling white people soulless barbarians and they don't fire him for it. They don't even specifically mention it in their in their announcement of his termination. Instead, they use the, the Semitic comments as the excuse to dump him. This is how trendy and acceptable anti-white racism is. You can denounce white people as subhuman monsters, and you won't lose your job for it. You may lose your job for something else. Uh, your, your company may find some other reason to dump you because they're afraid of what you might say next. But that's not going to be the reason they stay. They're going to find something else. And they certainly won't come out and say anti-white racism is bad and we reject it. Think about how crazy that actually is. It is now edgy. It is controversial. It is provocative. It is offensive to simply say that it's bad to hate all white people. That statement now is, is, is like, uh, you know, people don't want to say that. It's actually racist to say that. I've been told this directly. That to speak out against anti-white racism is itself racist. It is racist to be opposed to anti-white racism. That's where we are. And we should also mention that if you go on, on Twitter or social media, you're going to find 
that there is a lot of support for what Nick Cannon said. Not just for him, not just people saying, oh, you let him have a second chance or whatever. People supporting what he actually said. Like, yes, I agree with it. White people are soulless uh, barbarians who are subhuman and lack compassion. There's a lot of that. Anti-white racism is the only mainstream form of racism. I didn't say it's the only form of racism that exists in the world. It's the only kind that is acceptable in the mainstream. Not just acceptable, not just tolerated, but oftentimes celebrated. And so if you pretend to be against racism and fighting racism, but you're not acknowledging this kind of racism, then you're just a cowardly, hypocritical fraud. And there are a lot of those to go around these days. And we'll leave it there. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, and The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Danny D'Amico, and our audio is mixed by Robin Fenderson. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2020. A major liberal writer resigns in disgust from the New York Times, a black celebrity calls white people animals, and the federal government starts killing criminals again. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.